0: Equal Housing Lender. Member FDIC. Copyright 2024. U.S. Bank
2: my mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a more market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Cramerica. I've been wanting to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. The Trump era is over. So how do you prepare your portfolio for the Biden era? In some ways, this feels like the most consequential change of administration since perhaps the Reagan revolution or the New Deal or maybe even the Civil War. Now, that's not really true, but I'm betting it'll have a bigger impact than the Obama to Trump transition four years ago. The market roared today, the Dow gaining 258 points. The S&P poll voting. 1.4 percent, and the Nasdaq soaring almost 2 percent. In part because nothing crazy happened at the inauguration. The absence of a negative these days means a lot in the wake of the aborted capital push. So what does change? Trump was anti-immigration. He was pro-fossil fuel and vocally hostile to China. Biden's pro-immigration, anti-fossil fuel, and a lot more chill about China. I know these things. I'm Jimmy Chill. The new administration should do a better job with the vaccine rollout. Hard to imagine how anyone could do worse. We put the states in charge, but also the military in charge and the drug distributors in charge. And, of course, the pharmacies in charge. But when everybody's in charge, nobody's in charge. In many states, it's all come down to county level public health officials, which is insane. What the heck are they supposed to know about setting up a national vaccination program? So once again, the bar is very low on the vaccine front. If Biden simply finds where the extra vials are hidden, Pfizer and Moderna insists that they've got millions of doses waiting somewhere. Well, that'd be a huge win. How many have gone bad? How many are sitting in federal closets? How many fell off the back of a truck, for heaven's sake? By the way, later tonight, we're going to hear from Gritstone, which is working on a new type of vaccine that might obliterate those dangerous mutant COVID strains that you've been hearing about. However, this isn't mad public health or mad fear mongering. It's mad money. So let's dive right into the biggest investable themes for 2021. Now, I've been keeping this list since late last year, and tonight we've got to update it and reflect some of the Biden's cabinet picks. Personnel is policy. First and always is going to be e-commerce. A lot of people are nervous that the e-commerce story will fall apart once we beat the pandemic. Boy, that would be the least of our problems. Right? But I believe this theme remains in its infancy. Every retailer and restaurant chain has been forced to embrace the web. The winners still work up here. Think Target with its shipped same-day delivery service. We used it today to bring in, like, mason mints and a lot of Swedish fish. Uh, Chipotle with digital delivery and Chipotle lanes. No wonder it was up 3.6% today. Same goes for the e-commerce enablers. Shopify, Etsy, PayPal, Square. And do not forget, although it's often and prematurely considered Dead fine. Facebook's the best way to advertise online. Amazon's well, Amazon. Apple's got the quintessential e-commerce device, and Netflix is the king of online entertainment. And Alphabet's like a cross between Facebook and Amazon. These stocks led the market today. Second theme, the Great Reopening. Once we have a national vaccine policy, you want to own everything that can rebound. And there, we, let's keep it simple, okay? Well, you got to do, uh, say, Marriott, uh, uh, Southwest Air, Boeing, more on that later. And yes, Airbnb. Third, we're still in the early innings of digitization. All these cloud plays have made themselves essential here. What are the obvious ones? Go with them Salesforce, Microsoft, Adobe, ServiceNow, Workday. Theme number four, cybersecurity. Earnings season's now in full swing, and when you listen to these bank conference calls, holy cow, it's breathtaking how much they have to spend on cybersecurity. You've got cloud-native operators like uh, CrowdStrike and Zscaler and Kramer uh, family-fave Okta, or operators that can handle both the cloud and legacy systems. That makes me think about Palo Alto. I like them all. As for number five, that's the 5G wireless build out. Last week, I gave you a whole basket of these uh, T-Mobile, Crown Castle, Marvell Tech, and Seagull. Oh, man. Skyworks, Qualcomm, Taiwan Semi, and Fastly. Uh, that, that basket is paid for itself like nine ways to Sunday. Those are all flying, especially the chip makers, because we have a massive worldwide semiconductor shortage. Going to be a big theme for 2021. 5G's a juggernaut. Just pick one. Theme six, Biden's COVID-19 stimulus plans. Now, this one's tricky. You're going to hear a lot about infrastructure, but we, we, we don't have any, enough place to play. There are too few industrials. You could always go with the rock place like Martin Marietta or Vulcan Materials. Meanwhile, another round of stimulus checks is good news for Walmart, Amazon, Target, Costco, Home Depot, Lowe's, Dollar General, Dollar Tree. And let me throw in two for good luck, Whirlpool and Stanley Black & Decker. Seven is China. For months, Biden and his camp have stressed that they'll continue taking a hard line on China like Trump. Oh, please, I do not buy this. Fill the papers today. I'm going to call the if I were their editors, man, I would have made I would have sent them all back. Say, go do some homework. Biden's been in politics for 50 years. He's never been that hawkish on China. Plus, as much as I believe in the trade war and you know that the business community wants to stop it. Who wins? The companies that already have a lot of Chinese exposure, like Apple. Did you see that go up? Nike, Starbucks. You think these go up in a vacuum? No, it's it's because of what I'm saying to you. And let's not forget Boeing. China needs planes now that their economy is back to normal. Boeing directly or indirectly employs 2 million Americans. If Biden plays nice, the Chinese Communist Party will throw some orders Boeing's way as a gesture of goodwill, and you'll be paying $250 for the stock. Theme eight, the resurgence of stock picking and wealth management. Think Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs. They both had unbelievable quarters. Morgan Stanley's the best. What an amazing quarter. Capitalizing on new generation investors who recognize that picking stocks is actually a good way to manage your money. The asset-gathering momentum at Morgan Stanley is extraordinary. Uh, they're crushing it. Crushing it! Number nine, remote work is here to stay, even when the pandemic's gone. Why? Simple. For the last 10 months, millions of white-collar workers have been stuck at home. And you know what happened? Their productivity soared. You can call them at 3 a.m., at 7 a.m., make them work. It's really great. If I were, boy, if I were a boss during these days, I would never, I would wake them up at quarter three and put them to work. And that's a.m. Who wins? The Home Office Place, Remote Work Enablers, William sonoma Wayfair, Logitech, Zoom Video, and of course, again, Amazon. 10 is healthcare. Biden doesn't have the votes in Congress to do anything earth shaking here, but I think his administration will try to make it easier to get insurance. And that is very good news for Centene, Umana, CVS, because CVS now owns Aetna. I like breakthrough drug bankers, by the way, like Eli Lilly with its Alzheimer's treatment and Regeneron for its COVID drugs. Finally, you know what? I don't come empty handed to any party. I've got two new themes brought to you by the Biden White House. First, be ready uh, for more stringent environmental regulations that push people into electronic vehicles. Now, we've been seeing this all over the place. This is not new to you. But yeah, I'm going to bring them to you constantly, And not just Tesla. Plug power. Someone put a big short rate on that one today for green hydrogen. Electrical vehicle plays that are merging with special purpose acquisition vehicles. Northern Genesis, soon be Lion Electric. Oh, don't forget Lordstown Motors. Uh, CIIG, which is merging with UK-based Arrival. Everyone's very hot on that one. But you know what? I'm increasingly drawn to Ford because they're electrifying the F-150. And they've got a nice investment in Rivian, the $25 billion electric truck developer. It was the second biggest gainer in the S&P 500 today. General Motors works too. They both uh, are cheap, and they've got momentum. Second is housing. Now, I've been reluctant to do this. I've been reluctant to recommend Toll Brothers, KB Holmes, Pulte, DR Horton, and Lennar because I was worried about higher interest rates. But after what we've heard from Fed Chief Jerome Powell and then incoming Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, I believe rates are going to stay low for a long time, maybe years. So think about it. Meanwhile, Biden's pro-immigration, which is Gigantic for home builders. There are at least 10 million undocumented undocumented immigrants who will soon be able to come out of the shadows and ask for credit to buy a home. And that will be amazing for the home builders, especially since we only have 2.3 a month's worth of homes for sale right now, and that is among the lowest on record. Now, if you get an extra aggressive infrastructure push, you should buy Caterpillar. If Biden goes big on solar energy, I'll have tons of names, it's sun power. But unlike the others, I think the jury's still out on those themes. Uh, they don't do enough work. What's the point of of identifying these big themes? Simple. They give you something to fall back on. You don't chase these stocks on the way up, people. You wait for a pullback then you pile into them on the way down when everyone else is scared to death. The whole point is that you can feel confident buying them in weakness because the themes give you staying power and you've done the homework. The bottom line. Most of these themes don't need a new president or an old president or any president. You can put a dog in the Oval office and they'll still work. The only thing these companies need is capital. And this document will provide This stock market will provide any capital that is needed in a heartbeat. I'm starting with Josh in Texas. Josh. Booyah. Hey, Jim. Big fan of the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. My question is
3: regarding the
2: cannabis and the marijuana sector as a whole. Um, With both houses of Congress as well as the executive branch now being democratically controlled, what is your outlook and perspective on the immediate and the long-term investment opportunity of the sector? Okay, I don't like the um, the median at all. I like the long-term, and that's why I keep coming back to Canopy Growth, because they've got the balance sheet, which is what is needed. Now, people like Afria, too, and I totally get that. But Canopy Growth has got the management skills, and it's got the money that you're going to need to be a long hauler. I need to go to Carl. in Pennsylvania. Carl.
3: Jimmy Chill, what's crack a lacking, brother? Honor and a pleasure.
2: Same. Hey, listen— My question is about a company you had on not too long ago seems to be stuck trading horizontally in the one hundred fifteen dollar range with earnings next month. Joe Biden in office and the market ablaze with green EV and ESG plays. What do you see as a catalyst to move this under the radar ESG play and nation's largest recycler waste management higher and out of this range? Well, unfortunately, I did once believe that that is the. uh Let's say that's the thesis. But it's really about home building. It's about uh, construction, because that's what they make the most off of. And a lot of people feel that they're uh, yes, they're doing a lot with fuel cells they're doing a lot with uh, nat gas, methane engines. But they're just not ESG. They're not even recycling that much. Look, I really like them, but I'm not putting them in the ESG camp. Let's go to artillery in Florida, also known as Artie Artie. Ba-ba-ba-booyah, Jim, long-time listener, first-time caller. Long really first time, first time. Work. What's up? Hey, I wanted to ask you about GM as an EV play, especially as it comes with a bargain valuation when you compare to Tesla and Neo. As the new administration is making clean energy and EV a priority in their agenda, how well do you
1: think a company like GM, with an established user base and massive existing manufacturing capabilities, its position to succeed, especially after clearly showing its, commi-
2: its commitment to transforming their focus to EV out of CES last week. All right. If they call themselves General Motors Electrical Vehicles Corp., this $79 billion company will be $100 billion. I mean, that's how ludicrous this whole thing. I think Mary Barr is doing a great job. The stock is being re-rated right in the face of us. She is doing so many things right. Please do not count out Farley from Ford. He's kind of like the Matt Damon character in Ford vs. Ferrari. Not really, but I like the imagery. Okay, now, now you got the biggest investable themes for the year. Sure, some of these don't need a new administration, but it sure doesn't hurt, does it? Oh, man, buddy, tonight, it's a stock up over 300% over the past week. But could under the robe our COVID player, Gristone, yes, Gristone, still be worth considering after a spectacular move? Or are we late? Are we late? I'm going to talk to the CEO. Then we're seeing plenty of changes in Washington. But could the biggest things of this market look the same? I'm talking the rise of the streaming wars and whether the trend can continue in 2021. You will need this segment to make judgments. And President Biden has pledged to push a sweeping two billion, $2 trillion. Check that letter. T, trillion dollar climate plan in the first term in office. I'm going to sit down with the CEO of Renewable Energy Group. Talk about a great name for this administration, huh? To see how it can benefit. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad
1: Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag MadTweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at one
2: 800 743 cnbc Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
1: Visibility at indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire, you need indeed.
2: How about a feel good story for this upbeat inauguration day? Take a look at Gritstone Oncology, a little biotech company that's seen its stock quadruple over the past two days. That's right, quadruple. Last week, Gritstone was an early stage drug developer experimenting with immunotherapies for various types of cancer. But yesterday morning, the company announced seemingly out of nowhere that they've been working on a second-generation COVID vaccine, and they already had an agreement with the National Institute for Allergy and Infectious Diseases to start testing it. This immunotherapy-based vaccine could be a game-changer, even if it's still just in phase one. That's how a little biotech stock quadruples in just two days, but is it for real? Let's take a closer look with Dr. Andrew Allen, the co-founder and CEO of Gritstone Oncology, to get a better sense of this vaccine's initiative and what it means for the pandemic. Dr. Allen, oh, welcome to May of Money.
3: Thanks for having me on, Jim. It's great to be here.
2: All right. So there's no doubt when listening to President Biden that he is going to work uh, studiously and endlessly and rigorously about trying to solve the pandemic. But I'm not sure how much they're doing about these new strains, such as the South African strain that has so many people concerned. Gritstone might have a solution for that, correct?
3: That's the uh, that's the hope. Yes.
2: So would you be doing something that's very similar to what you're doing with oncology? Or is this a whole different kind of technology that you're working on?
3: This is very similar to what we've been doing in cancer. What we did with cancer when we started five years ago was to frame the problem as one of identifying what it is on the surface of a cancer cell that looks abnormal to the immune system. And then isolating those abnormal proteins, putting them into a vaccine delivering them to humans to generate, in particular, these killer T-cells that can effectively kill tumor cells. So that's what we were focused on originally. And as COVID came along, it was very clear that it was possible there would become resistance variants within the virus, and that using T-cells and that arm of the immune system as part of the uh, solution would potentially be important. So we started working on this last year, and indeed, uh, it obviously caught the attention of the Gates Foundation, who've been funding us Uh, in the preclinical development of this. And then more recently, the NIH uh, have wanted to take it into phase one human testing, which is what we announced yesterday. So it's a very natural extension of what we've been doing. Uh, At some level, we hoped it would never be necessary. But as you said in your introduction, we're now starting to see some resistant variants arising such that we may need some alternative approaches such as ours.
2: Okay, so doctor, I I have been been following and writing about it, obviously, the pandemic for a long time. And I'm always concerned that there are a lot of companies that say they're getting in and then they haven't really produced anything versus some of the big guns. But in some ways, if you don't mind, you do remind me a little bit of one that a lot of people didn't think could become a major company when it came to the vaccine, and that is
3: Moderna. You do have some similarities. Yes, we do. We both uh, have programs working in cancer. Uh, And obviously, they've done a beautiful job of driving those first-generation vaccines uh, for the treatment or prevention of COVID, uh, which has been fantastic to watch. What Moderna and others have done is to focus on this spike protein, which sits on the outside of the virus and is a target for antibodies. And they have a vaccine that generates really nice levels of antibodies. And then we were all, I think, really pleasantly surprised uh, at the end of last year when they showed 95% protection against COVID-19 disease, which was fantastic. But uh, there's a whole other limb to the immune system, the T-cell system, which doesn't neutralize the virus before it gets into a cell. T-cells kill virally infected cells. And that's why we have both of these limbs to the immune system. They complement and reinforce each other. And what we've done is we've captured all the benefits of spike potentially. So our program does drive antibodies to spike. But now we're expanding it to include additional targets from the virus and driving strong T-cell responses against those targets. And that, of course, may be helpful if you're getting mutations in spike, which is what we're starting to see now. You've got this whole T-cell system to give you backup protection.
2: Now, uh, there was an outfit that was skeptical today, uh, Baird, good firm. They downgraded your stock to sell, saying basically, and I don't mean to just too much shorthand, that they're unimpressed by GRIT's preclinical data since the clinical bar for efficacy is already very high, leaving little ground for coral, their, your option, to improve upon. Uh, to me, that's apples and oranges. I don't think there's anything about the current ones that has anything to do with what you're talking about.
3: I would agree with you, Jim. I think um, that today we're seeing fantastic safety and efficacy of the first-generation vaccines. That's magnificent. Obviously, we're all in this together. Um, But obviously, we're hoping for the best, but we're preparing for the worst. The worst is that the spike starts to mutate, that it starts to become resistant to the antibodies that are being generated by the first generation of vaccines. And actually today, literally today, a paper came out from the Rockefeller University uh, in your hometown of New York, uh, showing that the South Africa variant appears to be relatively resistant to antibodies generated by this first wave of vaccines. Now, it's not complete loss of protection, so we're not going to go from 95% protection to zero, but obviously the worry is you go from 95% protection potentially down to 75%, and then maybe another mutation happens and it drops down to 50%, and that's the concern. So we're again, we're hoping for the best. We're preparing for the worst and using other targets from the virus beyond spike is obviously a rational approach to dealing with this problem.
2: Last question. We know that uh, President Biden, of course, as I said, is deeply committed to solving the pandemic. Uh, His predecessor came up with Operation Warp Speed. Uh, Will there be anything to help fund gritstone, uh, given that Warp Speed did uh, make it so a lot of companies that otherwise wouldn't have enough money to be able to do it were able to? Or do you think you have to go back and tap the public markets for more money?
3: well NIH is working with us now and they're running the phase one study that will be starting shortly uh, and then the real expense I think is going to be on its manufacturing scale up if indeed we need the product such as the one we're developing at scale then that's the real expense the good news is the some of the basic components of our vaccine system are similar to those being developed by others the contents are different but the outer shell is similar And we can see that that can be scaled up very effectively uh, by a lot of uh, manufacturers out there around the world. And that's been supported by uh, federal dollars. And so our hope would be that if indeed that kind of scale up becomes necessary, then we'd have federal help uh, in paying for that.
2: Well, we need you. We need what you're doing. And we thank you for what you're doing. Dr. Andrew Allen, CEO of Gridstone Oncology. Nice to meet you, sir.
3: Thanks so much. Thanks for being on.
2: Well, I have one half of the Moderna. I want it to go the full direction. If it doesn't get there, we need Alpha Bridgestone. Like Man Money's back everywhere. At the UPS store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need.
1: Is there anything you can't do?
2: Um actually I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything.
1: At least that's good. The UPS store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities which are some of the world's lowest carbon-intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand.
2: All the changes we're seeing in Washington, it, it, there's a lot of continuity in the stock market so far. The biggest themes of 2021 are looking a lot like the biggest themes of 2020. Take the rise of streaming video, all these online TV and movie services that are taking endless market share from cable. Not long ago, a ton of people were worried that this industry had just gotten too crowded. These days, it feels like everybody's got their own streaming service. The doubters figured it had to be zero sum. Do you really need Netflix, and Amazon Prime, Hulu, HBO Max, NBC Universal's Peacock, Apple TV Plus, Discovery Plus, and the upcoming Paramount Plus? I mean, that's a heck of a lot of subscriptions. So the smart money migrated to Roku, the technology company that allows you to stream video directly to your TV because it's an arms dealer to the entire group. Why bet on these individual services when you can let them knife each other and bet on the whole industry with Roku? And that thesis made you a fortune with Roku up nearly 150 percent last year. But last night, last night something changed. Last night, Netflix reported some spectacular subscriber numbers. Very impressive, especially since the previous quarter was pretty lackluster. That tells me this industry's still got a ton of room to grow. And maybe it's too soon to write off the streaming services. So let me go over the players here, starting with the incumbents and then moving to some new challengers. I need you to know this group because it's not going away. And some of these other companies that we're just hearing about... People are going to be hyping them all of 2021 before today's explosive $85 run. Netflix has spent six months hovering aimlessly around 500 bucks after a big move higher from the March lows. What changed when the company reported last night? Netflix has one key metric, not sales, not earnings, but paid subscriber additions. That's the metric. The stock got slammed last time when the subscriber number was soft. Today, it's flying because they had 8.5 million net subscriber additions. Wall Street was only looking for a paltry 6.1 million. If you look at the other numbers, though, they're not that great. Sales, in line with expectations. Earnings, a lot weaker than expected. Heck, they even gave ugly subscriber guidance for the current quarter. The last time Netflix reported a quarter like this was in July, and the stock sold off in response. So what was different? What was different this time? Sure, they got a great pipeline of new content, and there's some news uh, coming out uh, later this week about uh, Bridgerton, which is good because my wife's addicted. Uh, it, by the way, it gave me a chance to watch hours of football this, Bridgerton. So, Reed, thanks Thank you so much. But the big difference is that this time Netflix told us that they're, quote, very close to being sustainably free cash flow positive, end quote. After burning cash for ages, the company's finally going to break even in 2021. Not long ago, everyone was freaking out about Netflix's balance sheet and the high cost of original content in a world where the competitors were sharpening their knives. Now the competition's here. and Netflix has enough cash to fully fund its content while paying down debt and maybe even buying back stock. You might not want to chase this one after today's move. Don't blame you. But Netflix remains the top dog in the streaming. And I got to tell you, it's absolutely worth buying on any weakness. This- I have liked this continually. I wouldn't have put it in Fang, for heaven's sake, if I didn't like it. I- yeah, yeah I-, I came up with Fang. But I'm very modest. And you only get to hear about it like every other segment. I like Disney, too. Their streaming service is taking over the world, although at this point, the stock's more of a reopening play. How about the arm dealers to the streaming services like Roku or the Trade Desk? Roku's become the preferred way to stream, either through the devices or through their software that's being built into more and more smart TVs. This stock's been on a tear, including nearly 30 percent gain in just the past 12 trading days. Two weeks ago, the company reported preliminary data for the fourth quarter. It was terrific. They've now got more than 50 million users. The stock actually pulled back in response, but then it quickly turned around, and it hasn't looked back since. Part of that's because the analysts keep falling all over themselves to raise the price targets. This almost feels like a live auction. Hey, I got that. I got that. I got. I used to auction here for a, for a living. Kind of liked it. For example, yesterday, JP Morgan came in on top of everyone, initiating coverage with an overweight rating and a new street high price of 475 Do I have five or do I have five? Actually, it's just for charity that I did it. Their thesis advertisers have only just begun to shift their spending from TV to streaming. So there's a lot more upside for a company like Roku as they chase their target audience. It just gets better and better. Now, look, there is a problem here. Uh, it's gotten so hot. I mean, I just I, I, I don't want to just say go buy Roku because, oh man. No. If you own Roku and you got a double or triple, can I just suggest something? Just schnitzel a little. If you don't own it yet, the stock's trading at more than 20 times sales. That's one of the most expensive stocks in the market. It's at $428.50. So wait for a little pullback. Hey, how about below $400? Next up, the Trade Desk, which helps companies manage data-driven advertising campaigns, especially when they're advertising on streaming video. We know advertisers love streaming video because they can run old-fashioned TV commercials using digital targeting strategies to find the right audience. They actually know who looks at the stuff. While the Trade Desk stock surged 208% last year, unlike Roku, the stock's pulled back substantially in the past month from 973 in the night before Christmas to 811 tonight. I honestly can't find a good reason for the sell-off. Maybe the trade desk was simply due for some profit-taking after a spectacular run. Whatever the reason, I think it's a buy here. The trade desk's most recent quarter was absurdly good. Beyond the big incumbents, well, we got some new guys I'm checking out. There's Magnite. It's another advertising technology play that was created when the Rubic- old Rubicon project merged with Telaria, giving the combined company a lot more heft and streaming. We'll do a lot about this company later. A little more than two months ago, Magnite reported a fabulous quarter of surprise profits since then the stock skyrocketed from 9 to 34. Earlier this month, the short-selling research firm started gunning for them with allegations of, quote, inaccurate financial reporting, end quote. So far, the short's They've been steamrolled. My view, I'd much rather than the Trade Desk, a company that's not mired in controversy with a stock that's giving you a nice entry point. Next up is Fubo TV. Yes, some people mistakenly called that faux Those people are not. They're ill advised. Fubo is the skinny bundle streaming play that, like, it's like an alternative to Hulu, like Hulu Live TV or like YouTube TV. I warned you away from this one a few weeks ago because the stock listed on the New York Stock Exchange in October at 80 million shares came out of lockup again in December. Plus, the very smart, uh, smart short sellers at Carisdale Capital have Fubo in their sights. However, Fubo jumped 34% last Tuesday, hammering the shorts. Why? Because the company told us it's acquiring. Victory that's spelled wrong with a g that's a sports betting company vig yeah, vig I thought it was cool. They plan to watch their own sports book by the end of the year. What does gambling have to do with streaming video? Eh, I don't know, except that they're both in style on the Wall Street fashion show. God admire the cynicism here. They're just throwing red meat to momentum traders. But I'm not cynical enough to recommend the stock. And by the way, of course, I like uh, the soccer of DraftKings. I do my bull market fantasy show with DraftKings. That's on tomorrow, by the way. And yes, you know, I like Penn Nat. You see some guy downgraded that to a sell and then today it roared. Here's it. Now, this guy, these, these guys, uh, as a company, I've never heard. Of, I'm going to be talking about for the first first time, first maybe a long time. Pubmatic. This is an ad tech stock that came public with a bang in mid December. Uh, th- th- it's intriguing. Pubmatic's a steady 20. percent 20. I love these names. 20 growth with solid profitability. The only problem is that the stocks had an insane move over the past couple of days for no particular reason. It was 27 on Friday. It's now at 34. You got my blessing if you take it. Uh, let's say under 30. Bottom line, streaming is here to stay, and your best bet is to stick with what works when you can buy it in a weakness. That's why I am pounding the table on the trade desk after this recent sell-off. Hey, and let's get Je- uh, CEO Jeff Green back on. I like that guy. As for Netflix, Roku, and the newly public Pubmatic, you know, having a little bit of a pullback before you pull the trigger. They have money. We got more. We've got my exclusive with the Renewable Energy Group. Talk about a great name for a new administration. Yes. Can the company meet the growing global demand for lower carbon fuels and help lead the way to a more sustainable future? And even investors who haven't watched the second season of Bridgerton know uh, that it's positive. Also, I don't know. I caught some of it. You guys liked it at all? I got a lot of guys. Since you liked it, and the wife liked it. Yep. Yeah, you like you liked it. Your husband liked it. Okay. Good. It's not gender. It has nothing to do gender. It's just really boring. All right. Now, I'm going to explain why the stock is soaring despite Bridgerton. Uh, Because of despite. Oh, come on. Will you give me a break? And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. President Biden now officially ensconced in the White House and the Democrats in control of Congress. Wall Street's betting this will be a great year for alternative energy. Now, you've heard about electric vehicles, and we've talked about solar, hydrogen, fuel cells, but there's another group that's been roaring here, biofuels, agriculture-based alternative energy. When you turn vegetable oil into something like biodiesel, you get a cleaner replacement fuel for petroleum diesel. Plus, going big on biofuels means the government can throw money at farmers, which, of course, does help politically. Uh, two of one stone. Which brings me to Renewable Energy Group. That's North America's largest producer of biodiesel. This is a stock that surged 163% last year, including a monster 67% move since Biden won the election. So has it gotten ahead of itself, or is the new administration really that good for this industry? Let's check in with C.J. Warner, the president and CEO of Renewable Energy Group, to learn more about our company and the biodiesel business. Ms. Warner, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Okay, C.J., your company is very exciting, not just because it's got uh, biodiesel, it's got renewable diesel, it's got Reg Ultra Clean. Tell us about these different grades and what they mean for shareholders.
0: Well, biodiesel and renewable diesel, we sort of class all together as biomass-based diesel, and they're both made from basically waste bio either animal or plant fats, think used cooking oil. We convert them to high-quality, very low-carbon diesel fuel. If it's biodiesel, it's made through transesterification. If it's um, renewable diesel, it's made through hydro-deoxygenation, but that doesn't matter. They actually both have similar, very strong, good qualities. If you make them from used cooking oil, they're 85% lower carbon than ultra-low sulfur diesel, in other words, petroleum diesel. They both have better tailpipe emissions from criteria pollutants like particulate matter, carbon monoxide, and total hydrocarbon. They can both be used in a conventional diesel engine without modification, and they can both because of that, decarbonized today and decarbonize now. In fact, it's the fastest path in transportation to decarbonization, and it's even better than electric vehicles today because the EVs are waiting for the grid to decarbonize. So compared to a passenger vehicle, if it's on the U.S. average grid, biodiesel and renewable diesel are both 65% lower carbon than EVs. And if you use the California grid, which is Further along its decarbonization path, even still, 42 percent lower carbon when you use biodiesel and renewable diesel.
2: OK, well, I listen to this and I think, uh, why aren't we all why aren't all trucks using it? Why doesn't every uh, Ford 150 diesel use it? What's the uh, gating factor? And can President Biden do anything to make it so that we all use it?
0: Well, I'll tell you, it's, it's happening faster than we think. It's been a bit of a sleeper because the average person, especially in the United States, doesn't really relate to diesel much. So there's been a, a little bit more focus on some other choices. But renewable and biodiesel are growing rapidly. And a great example of that is this last year, a pandemic year, when the energy industry was hit really hard and demand really created um, a, a hole for Jet, for example, which dropped almost 75% in the second quarter, Uh, gasoline dropped about 50%, and diesel even came down by about 20%. Renewable and biodiesel actually increased in demand by about 7% for the year. Um, And I think that's demonstrating the blend levels are coming up and the demand is starting to rise as We're basically hitting this inflection point. Consumers are aware, hey, we need to decarbonize. We need to look for choices. And the more they become aware of what we can do with diesel and biodiesel and renewable diesel, the more the demand continues to increase. Now, we've had clean
2: harbors one they do safety clean and they actually go around and collect these uh, different oils. How are you able to get them? Uh, and is it is it something that actually scales even bigger? I know you've got a big guy Smart plant being built. I want to know,
0: is there enough fuel? Yeah, It's, a, it's such an important question. And it really the, the answer starts with the um, history of this industry. So 25 years ago, We basically started transesterifying soybean oil because it was being produced in such a high quantity that the farmers couldn't get rid of it at the same rate that they were selling the protein meal that soybean oil was grown for. So that was the birth of the industry, and it was the only feed we used. About five years later, we realized, hey, we can process used cooking oil as well. We needed to make some modifications to clean it up, but we learned how to do that. Five years later, as we were growing, we added distiller's corn oil, which is a waste product from the ethanol production process. And this is just an example of how as we're growing, we're finding new and better sources of feedstock. We're very confident that we're gonna continue to grow. There are additional new sources coming on, both from collecting more used cooking oil. Um, In the US, we still have a little ways to go and internationally, there's a lot of used cooking oil that's not collected yet. But there are other really interesting sources that are being developed, such as cover crops, which are actually helping agriculture to enhance the soil quality and actually capture more carbon in the soil and make more oil for us to create this low carbon solution. So there's a lot more to come. Uh, Have you been in contact with anyone in the Biden, uh, the new Biden
2: administration about about this? Because this seems like such a natural thing that our country could do.
0: Yeah, we're very excited and have gotten some really good interest and uptake. We've actually had some Biden administration fellows visiting biodiesel plants, so they're very aware. Um, We do offer this um, rapid solution that's available today, and while other interesting solutions are still in development, and they'll be important parts of the overall puzzle, we can help them decarbonize more rapidly by growing. Um, I, I think it's really important to remember we've enjoyed very strong bipartisan support on the part of the Congress, and we're very grateful for that, and that has helped us to grow as far as we've gotten. There's been a common recognition on both sides of the aisle that we add significant value to society, both from decarbonization, cleaner air, stronger rural economy, more jobs. Um, so we've been very pleased about that. And with the Biden administration focusing even more on decarbonization, we're ready to work together to accelerate.
2: Well, it's, I'm glad to hear that anything can unify people. This is terrific. And also make money, which is even better for our viewers, because they want to make money and do good. C.J. Warner, President and CEO of Renewable Energy Group, REGI. Great to meet you. Thank you, Jim. Nice to meet you. Well, this is a pretty interesting story, isn't it? We gotta stay, we gotta keep track of this one. I wish it had been my radar screen when it was lower, but it's never too late to find good stories. Then money's back after the break.
0: It is time for something
2: lightning round. about rappers, one of the a and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Steve, there's the lightning round. players. Let's start with Dylan in Arkansas.
3: Dylan. Booyah, Jim. This is uh, Dylan from Arkansas. I'm a high school economics teacher. And I was wondering your thoughts on Palantir as a long-term play. Long-term
2: play, yes, because I think they do great technology. Unfortunately, we don't really know exactly what they're up to. They have a lot of uh, contracts that we can't break into. But I do think that cybersecurity is good. And I think that Palantir is right. Dominic in Michigan. Dominic. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. my first time on the show. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. The stock I'm calling in about is currently trading as SPAC. The SPAC is a big player in the fintech space and iGaming sector. A few of their big-name customers include Spotify, DraftKings, Roblox, and Fortnite. This company is projected to turn over $900 million in gross profits in 2021. Jim, the company I'm calling in about today... This ticker symbol BFT. Yeah, that's a, that's Paysafe. That is a that is going to be a terrific. That one works. What can I say? I like fintech. I, I feel like that almost every fintech company has worked. This one seems to have great bloodlines. I like what you're talking about. Let's go to Matt in Pennsylvania. Matt. Yo, what's
0: going on? Uh, I'm looking at Rocket Mortgage RKT.
2: Yeah, everyone's been asking me why is it stalled out. I've got to tell you. It is hard to understand given the fact that the housing business is good and the mortgage business is good. My take is that there has to be, let's just say, an ennui about it. People either want to be in a bank these days because the bank stocks had a big run or they want to be in a fintech company and they don't regard this as a fintech company, even as I think it is. So I'm not sticking my neck out right now. I'd like to. That does not mean I like it. It does not mean I dislike it. I'm flat on the name. Let's go to Mason in New York. Mason! Booyah, Jim, how are you? I am good, how are you? Good. I'm calling by Sticker Simple uh, Workhorse. Uh, with EV being such a play? Is this a good buy at this point? You know what? Look, it's, a, it's one of those exactly speculative EV plays, and there are a ton of them, and I like others more than this. Uh, I think it's fine. Again, it's spec. And there's so many of these, you do get overwhelmed. Christian in California. Christian.
3: Booyah, Jim. Thank you for answering my
2: phone. Booyah, absolutely. Hey, uh, big fan. Hey, uh, with the new administration. You know, being a big advocate of alternative energies, and, you know, there's several EVs out there. Uh, what, is, what do you think about G O E V? You know, they have their um, uh, drivable rolling chassis, which directly incorporates battery modules, and they have two partnerships with two big automotive companies. Yeah, we, we like this. We profiled it last week, and we thought it was very good. Uh, again, understand, I keep having to mention speculative because the group's gotten very... Brothy, and I don't want anyone to lose money. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round.
3: The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
2: My biggest surprise last night, President Trump didn't pardon Joe Exotic from Tiger King on the way out. I really thought that guy had it in the bag. Glad to be wrong. Although it wouldn't make great TV. My second biggest surprise last night, Netflix. How in the world did they get to 200 million subscribers while generating so much cash that they could actually afford to explore stock buybacks while also paying to produce incredible entertainment? These numbers were shocking, though when you drill down, there's really no mystery here. Netflix makes phenomenal TV shows and motion pictures. So people are willing to pay up for subscription. Most of us would probably pay a lot more than what we currently are being charged. It's the greatest bargain in the world of original entertainment. Now, throughout this spectacular run, there's been an incredible beacon pointing you in the right direction. That is CEO Reed Hastings. I can't tell you how many times Netflix has been pronounced dead. We were told it would be wiped out when Disney got competitive, when they lost the rights to friends. Remember that? Everyone was freaking out. When production costs escalated, sure, they went up when they had to tap the public markets multiple times for capital. Nobody likes that. Time after time, the story came down to one simple issue. Do you believe in the CEO? Do you believe in Reed Hastings? I've been a believer for years. He's an inspiring, congenial person, and it's pretty hard not to like the guy. But more importantly, he runs an incredibly tight ship. Hastings is not alone in offering a product that's better than the competition and cheaper to boot. Couldn't you say the same thing about Tesla? It's a vision brought to you by Elon Musk. He wants to produce the best electric car and sell it at the lowest possible price. That's how Tesla's market cap has been able to grow past $800 billion. And it's why conventional automakers haven't been able to catch up with them, no matter what they seem to do. Musk has been counted up more than any other executive I can recall. He was supposed to fold up shop a gazillion times. I've never seen a stock that's more hated by the cognoscenti. The smart money had total contempt for Tesla and for Musk. They didn't realize that making electric cars is really hard. Yet Tesla somehow managed to make the best car on the road, a car so good they don't even need to advertise. Every car they sell is a new ad. All right, how about Jeff Bezos over at Amazon? It might be hard to believe these days, but there was a time when Amazon was so heavily shorted that you were embarrassed to admit that you own the stock. Very few people ever came on CNBC and said, I like Amazon, the hideous balance sheet, the endless losses in pursuit of endless expansion, the uncertain financing, the unsustainably low price of Amazon Prime. We heard it again and again, but Bezos didn't care. He just kept making a vision a reality. And now his vision defines e-commerce. Who would have ever thought that what would the pandemic be like without an Amazon? driving down prices, bringing things to your house. It's incredible. We owe, him a great, we owe him a great deal of debt for what he's done. And finally, there's Apple, under the leadership of the late Steve Jobs, and, yes, his successor, Tim Cook. Again, this is a deceptively simple story. Apple's a technology company that makes the best PCs, the best watches, the best accoutrements, and, of course, the best phones. I mean, can you really go... Without this, I can't this is, the, this is the thing I have more than anything else in my life that changed my life. Their stuff isn't cheap, but when you factor in the carrier subsidies for the phones, you're getting them for much less than you might expect, considering how useful they are. I know it sounds ridiculous to claim the world's largest company is repeatedly counted out, but it's true. The stock's been written off repeatedly after the past 20-odd years. There's something almost pathological about Wall Street's eagerness to give up on Apple at the first sign of adversity. Hastings, Musk, Bezos, Jobs, four CEOs who believed in their visions and defied the opprobrium of Wall Street to create the best products and services in the world. At the end of the day, we still don't give the companies their due or their credit for flat out making better stuff than the competition. But sooner or later, the market rewards good craftsmanship. And remember, these four understood a simple precept, and that's that the customer is always right. And that's what really powers all four people and all four stocks. The late Steve Jobs, we miss you every day. I like to say that there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. I will see you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith, who did an unbelievable job today in Washington, with special inauguration coverage starts right now.